just going to um, read. I'm just going to think whether I use my phone. How many know phones are sometimes the right thing? Sometimes you need to do this. <laughs> Jesus said an amazing statement. If you lift me up, I will draw all men unto myself. Isn't that right? So the key to the whole thing is if we lift Jesus up, which is exactly what you said, God will draw all men unto himself because he wishes that none would perish. So I think one of the opening statements we must do is what we find in the scriptures, and particularly, uh, I think it's in Hebrews, in chapter 12 and verse verse 2. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right of God. Consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against him, that you may not grow weary and lose heart. For you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. One of the key things is fix your eyes upon who? Jesus. (laughs) All glory must go to who? Jesus. The motivation of Jesus is that he so loved the world. (laughs) I don't know how to impress that. If he so loved the world and you're trying to save it, you need his love to touch people's lives. People know whether you love them. Or they know whether you're striving, you're trying to perform, or you're trying to do something. But if you actually love people, it will break through the most... It's incredible. Cast out all fear, because fear. fear involves punishment and judgment. Perfect love casts out all fear. He who has no fear is perfected in love. God is love. What we often do is that we go and turn or burn, hellfire and brimstone climb preaching. When we actually miss it, most people are much harder upon themselves than you. Most, most people are struggling with insecurity, rejection, brokenness, um, failure, and they don't feel good about themselves. They don't need to have someone tell them that they're rotten. Work of the Holy Spirit is to convict them that they're rotten. And humility says, I'm also a rotten, messed up person who has actually found the person who can heal and fix me. (laughs) So what we do, we overcome by the word of our testimony, the blood of the lamb, and we do not love our life even unto death. One of the greatest things you've got to share with a person is your testimony. (laughs) People say, I don't have a testimony. Yes, you do. One of the greatest things you should do in church is ask people in the church how they got saved. You should have testimony nights all the time. Whatever you do in a home group, make sure you start with doing testimonies. Well, you've already done it. Well, God bless you. (laughs) How on earth will you know people unless you listen to them? How will you even discover what treasures are in there? Look at the positive in people. Stop looking at all the negative. 
see them as Christ sees them. Sees the, see the potential, see the destiny, see the, the beauty in the midst of all the ash. Go treasure hunting for the gold that's in people's lives. It, I mean, it does work. Most people love you to encourage them. Somehow build them up. Jesus does that to you, doesn't he? Don't give up. <laughs> Lift your head up. You know, stand up. Shake it off. Break the. He tries to get you to get up off the ground. If you go on the ground, you will get your head kicked in. Stand up. Having done all, stand. Sometimes that's all you can do. I'm standing. <laughs> I don't know how long for, but I'm standing. They knock you down. Stand back up. Knock you down, stand back. How many know you knock yourself down half the time? <laughs> Dear Lord, you don't need any other help, mate. You're that thick, you walk straight into it. Bam, whoop, there we go. You know what to do, but you don't do it. If you wait until you're perfect, you'll never, ever share your testimony and never evangelize anybody. You just won't. So the greatest focus is who? Who is the greatest evangelist on the planet? None of us, Jesus Christ. Why? He goes looking for the lost sheep. He goes looking for the lost coin. He goes looking for what? The prodigal sons and daughters, doesn't he? The ones that were once in the house and have completely gone astray. He doesn't just look for the lost. He goes looking for the prodigals. They were in the father's house. Isn't that, isn't that brilliant? He goes looking for, he wishes that none would perish all will come to repentance, and thank God everyone can be saved. Will they all be saved? No, but can they be saved? Yes. Has the blood of Jesus capacity to save every single soul on the planet? Yep. So then if we fix our eyes upon the person who loves them, wants them saved, healed, and delivered, he then said, guess what? I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit Enable, enable you to do something. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. So what does the anointing of God do? To be witnesses, to testify. But you're testifying about a person you've met. Not a doctrine, a person you've met. People want to actually find out, do you know him? Have you beheld him? The disciples were not educated men, but they knew when they looked at them that these men had been with Jesus. Well, how could they? Jesus had already gone to heaven. How could the, even the religious men know that these uneducated men were different? They could see. They've been with Jesus. When they looked at Stephen, he looked like an angel. Angel face. Do you have an angel face? Or do you look like your death warmed up? <laughs> you say, God's given me joy, peace. Well, have you got that? Or are you just talking about it? <laughs> Really, look in the mirror sometime. <laughs> he renews my strength. He renews my youth. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I am loved. You should be looking younger. <laughs> Thank you very much. I've got my fan club over here. I paid them quite... <laughs> Chelsea. Chelsea. <laughs> I see blue. There's a little bit of pink in here. <laughs> You've changed to blue. What happened, buddy? <laughs> Anyhow, it's the Liverpool supporter. We pray for them. 
Now, Jesus was smart enough, as he said this morning, not to give everything to one person when he left the planet. Come on, figure that one out. Otherwise, we wouldn't need anyone else. Me and Jesus, here we go. Well, that's talking about your salvation. Me and Jesus is Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's you and your salvation, yes. Name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But is that the church? I have some people say, oh, we're two of us agree in prayer. Jesus is here. Well, he's there with you anyhow. So how could two people suddenly become the church? No, that's you, you and a mate praying. Does the church have structure? Does the church have function? And does the church have something in the Bible that looks like it's more than just you and Jesus and your mate? It's, it's worth having a look, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus called the church a bride. Why on earth would he do that? In Genesis, there is a marriage, isn't there? What do we have? We have God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three, create one. Then out of the one, he forms another one who's out of one, and out of one comes two, and then says the two become one. So three became one, one became two, and the two became one. Get that revelation. Then, because he says, man is created in my image. The image of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then Father Abraham, the father of faith, he was told to get his servant and go looking for a wife for his son. He finds a wife for his son, and the two become one. In the New Testament, we have God the Father said, I've sent my Holy Spirit, the servant, to look for a bride for my son. And in the book of Revelations, we have what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. So you can, people get all hung up on the law and the prophets and la, 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 land. But guess what? Marriage in the garden. Father of faith, marriage. And right at the end, another marriage. That's a mystery, isn't it? And Jesus said the great mystery through the, prophet, through the apostle Paul, the great mystery of the church is the marriage. Great is the mystery. If the Father is one with the Son and the Holy Spirit, three are one, he just asks us to be one with our wife. And we know that can be difficult. He said, but I will build my church. There'll be one church, one bride, one body, one spirit. So Jesus thought, right, we need a help, don't we? So Ephesians chapter 4, very wonderful passage, which everyone should know. If you've been in this church long enough, you better. Ephesians chapter 4, every man and his dog's talking about this stuff now. 20 years ago, they didn't even believe they existed. They thought there were big apostles and little apostles didn't appear anymore. So God gave to the church in Ephesians chapter 4 
some apostles, verse 11, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for building up the body of Christ, that we might all attain unity in the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, the full measure and stature, which is the fullness of Christ, that we're no longer tossed around in doctrine by waves of every kind of doctrine and tricky of men, and that we might speak the truth in love, which no one does anymore because they're scared not to say anything that's critical. It has to all be positive. That's not in there. We are to grow up in all and takes all form of discernment out of the body of Christ and the prophetic word. And we are to grow up in all aspects of him who is the head, even Christ. The whole body being fitted and held together, which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of every individual part, causing the growth of the body to the building up of itself in love. <sighs> Do you get all that? It's mostly incorrect. Exactly, but it's there. It's the paraphrased Ian McCormick version. <laughs> Good news. It's what it's called. Good news. Why would Jesus make sure that he only gave some of the officers to some people? How many know you don't need too many chiefs? How many know everyone wants to be a chief nowadays? We need workers, don't we? How many know the body is made up of different parts? How many know a building is made up of different parts? The bride speaks of intimacy. The body is called the body of Christ. We also have a building called living stones fitted together, and you are God's building. The building speaks of structure. The body speaks of function. The bride speaks of intimacy. Three Bs. That's a good Bible study. Body, building, bride. You are God's building. You are God's body. Is that true? So if we look at the body of Christ, we go into 1 Corinthians 12. It talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, well, we're not all ears, are we? We're not all feet, are we? We're not all eyes. And then he goes on and says, first apostle, second prophets, and third teachers. Is that true? Now, imagine if you looked at your physical body right now, which of the fivefold would be the office of the eyes? Prophet, seers. What would be the head, the brain? Teacher, the mind of Christ. What would be the heart? The pastor, pastor heart, father heart of God. What would be the feet? How blessed are the feet of those who bring good news? Come on. The evangelist. What if we were all eyes? What a creepy looking body. What if we're all feet? Apostle would be almost like the nervous system that connects all of them to function because if that doesn't actually nervous impulse go to every extremity and uh, supply the impulse, that body will never move. I said, God, what does the body of Christ look like right now? He instantly showed me an autopsy table. I saw feet running around the corpse. I thought, what's that? He said, that's the evangelist. I thought, how on earth could it possibly live? He said, I have resurrection power. They love me. 
That's just the school of the evangelist still running around, hit and run evangelism all around the countryside. Are they connected to anyone else? No. Does any of their fruit remain? No. Do they even have a relationship with the pastors? No. But they dropped a whole bunch of babies in baskets with a whole bunch of carts and said, here are the orphans, have them and took off. Illegitimately birthed them and never basically took responsibility to father them. Didn't stay long enough to make disciples because all they were making were converts. Well, did I say that? Then I saw the heart pumping by itself. I thought, what's that? So that's the pastors. Bleeding hearts. <laughs> healing the broken hearts. But no one else is working with them. Just a thought. I said, what on earth is the building? He said, Ian, the cornerstone of the building is Christ. How many have heard that one? People say, me and Jesus, we're the church. No, you're not. You're standing on the cornerstone. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Christ himself is the cornerstone that the builders have rejected. He said, Ian, when a building is built, is a cornerstone a church? I said, no, it's just a cornerstone. Who are the foundation stones? Apostles and prophets. Apostles and prophets are what the foundation that's attached to the cornerstone. And it's not singular, it's plural. Which means there's more than one prophet and more than one apostle. Otherwise you might get so high and lifted up and full of yourself, no one can correct you. The church says if a prophet speaks, let two or other check it out. Apostles and prophets were actually on staff in Antioch. They weren't just roving around doing their thing. They learned how to submit and work together. Why would the prophet be important for the apostle? Old Testament typology, the, uh, the prophet would pour the anointing over the king. The apostle can prophesy. He's a seer. He's one who has seen Jesus. An apostle is someone who's seen Jesus. Do you understand that? How many know that eliminate a lot of apostles right now? Don't you love me? <laughs> is the cornerstone and foundation stone a building yet? Any builders here? couple of them. What do you do next, guys? How long does it take to get the foundations in? That's the most important part, isn't it? That takes the longest to get the foundations right. What are the apostles and prophets supposed to do? Get people back to who? Loving Jesus, the cornerstone. First love. 
not what you do, who you are, holiness, truth, the presence of God, the fire of heaven. Then up goes, the, bo the bottom plate goes in and they frame it up, don't they? Don't they frame it? Who would that be? Got apostles and prophet. Who's third? Teacher, the little one, pinky on the end of your finger. Here. What does he put? The parameters of the word of God. Have you still got a building? No, you need to put a one on. Next, what goes next? Roof. Who that might be? Pastor, the covering. And who's supposed to help fill the house? Evangelists. And then how do the Romans 12 people work of ministry of hospitality, helps, mercy, compassion, serving ministries? They make it a house into a home. <laughs> Everyone supplying that which is lacking, fitted jointly together, living stones, working together that he might be glorified. I said, what does the church look like right now? Instantly, open vision, roof on the ground. I could see the cornerstone holding up the edge of the roof, and I saw people come up to it, crawl underneath to come under the covering of the pastor. How low can you go? Eating dirt, are we? Not much light. But I'm under his covering. Right. Then I looked over in the vision and I saw, you know how people can start a building and then run out of money? You see the, build, the building sites? You think, oh gosh, I see the concrete, the rebar rods, they never even finished that. What was wrong with that? I said, what's that? He said, that's the apostles and prophets. They've gone so deep into me, you can hardly see them because they've taken the road of humility to true ones, but no one wants to work with them. Then in this open eye vision, I saw a man standing on a rock preaching to about 200 people in a field. And I said, what's that? He said, that's the evangelist having an open air. going into the highways and byways and preaching the gospel. I can show you all the scriptures, what you're supposed to do, but if you're not connected to the body you, or the building, then you're just doing your own, your own thing. You've been told to make disciples, not decisions. Even Billy Graham, of all his mass crusades, they reckon maybe 5% of the people that actually got saved got into the church. And that's a pretty high estimate. Some go down as, one, as low as 1%. And some of the people that heard got so burnt because it never worked because they had one shot at it and never got connected into the body of Christ. Why? Because the full gospel isn't just repent. It's to be healed. It's to be delivered. It's to be taught. It's to be uh, the maturity, to be baptized in water, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, teach them all the things I've commanded you, and you make disciples. And the poor teacher's been screaming that for 20 years, and no one listens to him. And the pastor say, who on earth is going to heal their broken heart? The guy made a decision, his entire marriage is stuffed. Who's going to help him? Well, he's just another name on the cards. Well, most churches don't even have enough people to look after their own, let alone anyone that comes in in the harvest. 
But everyone's screaming at the one-man pastor, well, you should be discipling them. You should be teaching them on the Father. You should be, well, why don't you do it? You're the, you're, you're the one mouthing off doing it. Why don't you help me? <laughs> Put your money where your mouth is. Shut up and do it. I want recognition. I want a title. I would like to have an office. Whatever. <laughs> By faith, you can do it. Trust God. He'll supply your needs. If you're called to do it, go and do it for nothing. That would take out most ministries if you told them, tomorrow I'm not going to pay you, see if you turn up to work. Did I say that? <laughs> I went to one, one church staff, they said, oh, we don't have enough money to hire staff. I said, then you should all go off salary and let's see who comes back to work tomorrow. I said, I haven't been on salary for 33 years, let's just find out. I said, I come here without a salary. Because he supplies my needs according to his riches. I live by faith, not by someone actually telling me what to do. But I know authority and submit to it, so I'm a man under authority, but I also understand that the authority of what Christ has called me to do is to try and save the lost. I then saw a house in the vision, windows, roof, walls, door, and people going into the house. As I watched them, I said, that must be the church. Can I go into the vision? He said, yes. So I stepped into the vision. It's fun to do this. <laughs> I stepped into the vision, walked up to the door and walked in. Inside the house were packed with people, hands up, shalalalama to Christ. And I'm thinking, wonderful. So I lift my hands up to worship him. And Jesus said, don't look up, look down. I said, what? He said, look down, son. He said, what do you see? I said, I'm standing on dirt. He said, what's in this house? I said, we've got evangelists, brought all the people in. We've got walls of a teacher, roof of a pastor. This could be a good Baptist church. <laughs> oh, you guys, just give me some slack. I'm, I love the Baptist church. My wife is a Baptist, so just back off. Some of you will never smile at anything because you're just so grumpy. Here we go. You know you're going to win a lot of people being grumpy? Just be real. If you're angry, get angry. If you're happy, be happy. He said, what's missing here? And I said, well, there's no prophets and there's no apostles. There's mostly no open heaven, no glory realm, and the manifest presence of God is mostly not even in the house. But we've got a lovely evangelical church. Good user-friendly, preach the word, teachers. Good pastoral care, good family community, got a few programs, and they've got a youth evangelist who's bringing the souls in. Maybe two and a half fold. Stable, not too wacky. Not trying to go into the third heaven. Boring. Wouldn't have a clue about manifest presence, treasure hunts, or open glory realms. Dig a well, well, let's redig the foundations. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. We've got the house. I looked in the corner. I said, What's that? He said, That's the cornerstone. If you ask these people, their ministry is based upon Christ. Ask the evangelist, his ministry is based upon Christ. Ask the pastor with the roof on the ground, his ministry is based upon Christ. 
He said, ask a master builder what he would do if he came into the house, looked underneath it and found out there were no foundations. Ask the master builder what he would do to the house. I said, that's an interesting thought. So I went to the master builder in the church and I said, what would you do, buddy, if you found a house with no foundation? He said, I hope you haven't brought it in. <laughs> I said, I haven't. This is a parable. <laughs> he said, well, there's a few cowboy builders out there, mate, that will say that they can get hydraulic rams, jack the whole thing up, put a new joist, foundations, pour new foundations. He said, half the time they fall over, kill people, and they go all upside, all, all the windows, all the doors, everything's a flipping mess, can't close anything. You know what you should do? Knock the flipping thing down, salvage whatever you can off it, and start again. He said, Ian, have you learned anything from that? I said, yeah, I guarantee those threefold churches will not knock it all down and start again. How many want to be part of the body of Christ? Come on, would you like to be part of it or do you just want to do your own thing? How many just figured out you might need other people around you that are different? Yeah. Do you think you can do everything? Thank God you can't. Because if you do, you might as well walk out there now and go and do your own thing because you're not going to need anyone else. You're going to get everyone else to serve you and work for you. Birds of feather do what? They flock together. How many know you can have people all agreeing on the same page about something if you all think the, think the same? You get a bunch of evangelists together, they're all kicking off. Oh, yes, I led that person to the Lord. Oh, man, I stood there in the shopping center. and Oh, man, I started praying for this person. They fell down on the ground and got born again. And I mean, they gave out tracts. And all they're talking about are souls getting saved. They would be great salesmen. They would sell ice to Eskimos. In fact, when they do altar calls, you think, that's theologically rubbish. But people come up, weep, and get saved. The teacher goes, I've given the best sermon on evangelism, and no one got saved. Pastor says, I've never seen anyone saved either, but I love them. Well, if you get the flipping people saved, you need someone to love them and pastor them because the evangelist is not the best person to pastor them. And the teacher's going to bore them to snores if you don't watch out. <laughs> They've Greek, Hebrew and written five books and you, haven't, you can't even read because you're half illiterate. And the prophet says, I ain't read nothing, I just hear the voice of God speak. And the teacher's going, hmm, hmm, hmm. I see heaven open wide. Jesus just told me by revelation that scripture you just said is incorrect. Oh, oh, oh. And they're in Bible school. How many know Jesus is really interested in watching how we react with other people? Why on earth would he take opposites and put them together and say, get married? Opposites do what? 
Opposites attract, but how many know they can kill each other? How many know what ends up with opposites? They end up trying to change the person to be like them, and then they don't like them because they are like them. <laughs> Leave them alone. <laughs> don't get oh, yes. Speak loudly. <laughs> She just said, don't get married. Oh, my dear Lord. <laughs> you have ears to hear. <laughs> if anyone knew about marriage, they would never get married. It's a trap. Jesus can only do so much with you as a single person. He's now going to get you to a point where now you can't escape. And he's going to find out how much you really love and how much you're really going to be humble. And then when you think you've got your marriage sorted, then he gives you kids. <laughs> Dear God. Then they become teenagers and you think I've done nothing right. God has a wonderful way of knocking you down to build you up. He has a great ability to say you can't do it without someone else. But if you don't appreciate the other people and know that you're supposed to work with them, you won't. But if you want to control them and get them to work for you, you then become a lord. Guess what? There's one captain. It's not you. It's Jesus. And there's one second in command. His name is Holy Spirit. And he want to teach you to be humble, teachable, honor and respect others above yourself and learn how to shut your mouth and let them speak. It's called unity, but unity is only in diversity. Uniformity. Look at your hand. How many know there's five? How many are staring at five every single day? There's your apostle, there's your prophet. If you put a prophet in charge of the church, you'll kill it. He will knock all the green bottles off the flipping wall. <laughs> including themselves, because none of them are holy enough and pure enough, and they will literally shoot themselves. High maintenance, but absolutely needed. Holiness, truth, the presence of God, call the fire down, and their job is to do what? Bring in the manifest presence of God. Open the heavens. Their job is to help recognize and pour oil out above, above, upon, prophetically, upon the different giftings within the body of Christ. Not sit away throwing stones and say, come and hear my school of prophecy. I'm going to dig wells and open heavens and do spiritual warfare. And the rest of you don't know what you're doing, so just come to hear. Old Testament. School of the prophets should not exist. Did you hear me? The school of the prophets should not exist. It should be part and parcel of every local church community. You should have prophets as part of your leader, leadership and government of every single church. Because we don't, we have one-man bands, we chase them all out. That's why the church is covered with the blood of the prophets. We've killed them all. Why do you think they're going to throw knives at you, mate? Because you've killed them. But God has resurrection power, brings them back from the dead, then you're in trouble. 
Angry prophets can be very, very dangerous. The evangelists, greatest signs and wonders, leading people to the Lord, wise men win souls. Jesus said, pray for the Lord of the harvest to bring them in, preach the gospel to all creation, go into the ends of the earth, encourage them, I've come to save the lost, pray. Isaiah said, Lord, here am I, send me. Everyone's to do the work of evangelism. Isaiah was a prophet. He did the work of evangelism. Everyone's supposed to do the work of it, aren't you? Wise man wins souls. Why did Jesus come? My work is to what? Bring in the harvest. The harvest is right. Right now it's there. How on earth can people be saved? Some through the gift of the evangelist, others through mercy ministry, washing, washing someone's car, going and taking food over to them, babysitting their kids. That could be all the Romans 12, mercy ministry. It could be someone who just sits there and has a Bible study and starts teaching the word and they get saved. It could come through a prophetic word. I see this sickness over you. It's a spirit of death. Can I pray for you, dear? Bam, healed. Everyone can operate in different giftings based upon what God's given them to help bring people to Christ. If they see Jesus in you, hopefully he's in you, they might get excited. But what are you going to do with them when they get saved? Oh God, I don't know. I'm just the evangelist. Well good, you better be around another person who's called a teacher, a pastor, a prophet, because once you catch the fish, you better clean them. But the poor people who get saved over in this ministry out in the park haven't got a clue about being set free from demons and have no idea about the pastor or the father heart of God and have no idea about coming into Bible study because you're out there just doing the work of the evangelist. It's not my responsibility. Rubbish. You have an accountability before God to make sure you shouldn't be doing it by yourself. You should be connected totally and absolutely within a local fellowship and you shouldn't be doing anything outside of it. I'm sick to death of people taking video cameras and putting it on YouTube, going and doing miracles in the street and when I ask them I say, where are they? I've got the right to ask that, where are they? Because I did it myself, dumb old me. 35 years ago, went out and led 3,000 people to the Lord in the street. You know what Jesus said? Where are they? I said, I don't know. He said, if you think one saved, always saved, and they don't need to be discipled, keep going, son. He said, what was the Great Commission? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, teach them, baptize them, and then, lo, I'll be with you. Well, we got the go and forgot about all the rest in between. Making disciples of all nations. How on earth are you going to look after people unless you realize you need other people around you? What the church has become is a butcher, a baker, and a candlestick maker, little specialist. What do you think Walmart does? What do you think the warehouse does? What do you think Asda do? And all these different companies, no, I'm in England. No, I'm not in New Zealand. What have we got? One-stop shop. Here we go. We're going to get some speaker and farmer's warehouse. I don't know, Kmart, one-stop shop, Amazon, one-stop shop, we can give you everything. The church is not giving you everything, you get saved by the boy out here in the street, well he hasn't got any connection with anybody else, so maybe you'll end up somewhere, who knows, God knows, maybe there's a few churches around, you might stumble into one.
Could be a cult, could be not teaching the Bible, who knows? <laughs> Did you help them? Did you take them? Did you lead them? And if you're the evangelist, I'd hate to see how well you pastor because you're pretty useless. I've seen them. <laughs> Do you want your fruit to remain? Do you love the person enough to make sure that they get the fullness of the gospel, the whole gospel? What is the whole gospel? Salvation, healing, deliverance, maturity, love, intimacy, full knowledge of Christ, this full stature. This is what the Bible says. And guess what? You can't do it without it. That means if the DNA of those people are not in your church, you're in trouble. So what do we end up doing? We hire them. Look at this bizarre concept. Are we going to hire the evangelist to come in and do a crusade? Are we going to hire the prophet to come and prophesy over everyone? Oh, no, we're going to hire the specialist to bring down signs and wonders and miracles. The rest of us don't, but anyhow, we'll get him to do it. He's the paid professional. He'll come for a week, and then the pastor can boot him out. We have no relationship other than we see him maybe once a year. It's called hirelings. Let me show you my card. Wait on. No, I haven't got one. Oh, sure. Let me bring my entourage. Oh, praise God, I haven't got any. What is my job to do? Equip and build the body of Christ. If a part of the body of Christ is missing, what kind of body do you look like? Could every local church have the fivefold in it? You reproduce after your own kind. It's called DNA, isn't it? If the DNA of who Christ is isn't in your fellowship, you've got a problem, haven't you? Did Paul write to the churches a book? We call it the book of Ephesians. Actually, the original manuscripts did not have Ephesus even mentioned in it. It, from what we understand from scholars, was a circuitry letter that went to all the churches. Let me know when you get older, you actually think you might have known something. When you're young, you think you know everything. When you get older, you realize you've got maybe one or two sermons. And then you're not sure about that either. <laughs> <laughs> Paul tried everything. In the book of Acts, he tried one-man band evangelism. As I said this morning, he'll try going out with other apostles, going out with other prophets. He had fallouts with all of them. How many know that apostles are fairly tricky guys? What he did by the end of his life, he began to realize that the actual church could encompass all the different people. Christ was smart enough to make sure that these people who were getting saved encompassed the whole facet of who he was. And if they actually loved each other, that's a miracle. Love their wives, love their children, love God. They might have a chance of actually keeping people. When did Jesus do evangelism in the New Testament? Come on, it's a good question. When did Jesus do evangelism in the New Testament?
He didn't. Come on, that'll throw your notes all over the place. <laughs> what did Jesus do? What was the first thing he did? He went to a wedding. Why would he go to a wedding? Because the wedding is the mystery of the marriage. First miracle. Water into wine. What did he then do? He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and was tempted to be given all the kingdoms, all the dominion, all this and that. He said, no, I didn't want all that. I've come to save souls and take their soul back to my kingdom, which is not of this world, which gets rid of dominion theology and kingdom now theology and this earth becoming the new earth. It will not become the new earth. That's why a lot of preachers won't let me in their church because they're preaching this heresy. I saw a new one. When I died, I saw a new one. John, 2,000 years ago, saw a new one. Didn't make it up. He said, I see, I saw a new earth. How long did it take for God to create this one? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a fairly big statement in one sentence. <laughs> How long did it take God to create this heaven and this earth? He spoke. Now, that's about as long as it took. He spoke and the worlds came into existence. How long do you think it took him to create a new heaven and a new earth? He spoke and said, there's a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth will pass away. And he makes all things new. My kingdom is not of this world. I go to my father's kingdom. In my father's house there are many mansions. So guess what? When you die, you don't go to heaven. You go to heavenly places. What is in the heavenly places? New earth, a new heaven, a new Jerusalem. Come on. I saw it. The new earth. River of life. New heavens. New Jerusalem. No sickness, no death, no war, no pain. He's prepared the place for us. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Death, where is your sting? Sting of death is sin. Free gift of God is if you're trying to save someone, you might want to find out where you're taking them. <laughs> That's the good news, isn't it? But if you don't even agree on that, then you think this is going to become the new earth. You've got a bunch of people on this planet might look at you sideways. Because even the dumbest of the non-Christians know this earth is about to go boom. There are more preppers out there than there are Christians who have got any clue what's coming. Says the sons of darkness are wiser than the sons of light. I agree with it. I can't believe the stupidity of some Christians. <sighs> In the last days there will be what? False teaching, false prophets, false Christ, false everything. 
Be on your guard. Read the flippin' thing. Don't just listen to someone on the podcast. Listen to your house. You better get realising some of you are drinking from different people's fountains and you say you come here, but you're actually not in the house. Stop drinking off some other preacher. Turn your flippin' TV off in your podcast and listen to the house. Oh, that's got some of you going. I can say it because I'm, I'm not pastoring this mess. I don't agree with that theology, Pastor. I said, well, who do you listen to? Who's your father? Who's your mentor? Who are you, Father? Who are you listening to? Do you actually understand that God wants every local house to start hearing the voice of God and start to actually put into place the missing parts of the fivefold? That means you need to come, prophets, out of your caves and come in and work in the house. And you hit-and-run evangelists, you should get off that and come back in and serve the house. You know where the greatest evangelism, oikos, friendship evangelism, way, way better than hit-and-run stuff out there, way better than treasure hunts, the best way is actually in the house. In fact, Jesus, he appointed the apostles first. You go, you what? He hasn't got anyone to follow him yet. He goes and chooses 12 apostles. What we do is think, we need to get... Hundreds of people saved, and then we might get one full-time worker. What Jesus did, he had no followers. He got 12 apostles. Come and follow me. That's weird, but he made them first. Then he got 72 other people. Still didn't have anything going on here. <laughs> he said, come follow me. 84 people. And I said this morning, after three years of ministry, he only had 36 people join him. 120. Jesus, why would Jesus wanting to work with these leaders? He spent almost all his time taking these leaders, trying to get pride, competition, arrogance, and anger out of them. When they told him to cast the net over when he first met them, what happened? They got the nets full, and what happens to the nets? They broke. After three years of ministry, when Jesus appeared to them again, he said, throw your nets over. The nets were filled, and it didn't break. He knew the world is ready to be saved. He didn't save anyone, because why bring them into the mess called the Christians here? But when he got 120 in an upper room, and these weren't just a prayer meeting, these were disciples, apostles, men, who had, men and women who had followed God and had been called by him, and they were praying and waiting upon him, and then when they were in one accord, when unity came, what happened? God pours out his spirit. Holy Spirit and fire. Power arrives in the house. Then God says, okay, I think you're ready. I am the Lord of the harvest. Up comes Peter, who's put his foot in his mouth a number of times, preaches a very simple message with no signs, wonders and miracles, and said, you have crucified the Son of God, repent. 3,000 people get saved right there, smack on the spot. What does Jesus do last? Evangelism, he's not even in town, he's in heaven. 
Come on. If 3,000 people got saved in the rock today, right now, right, right now, could you look after them? Not a hope. Could any church in town? No. None of them have got enough leadership trained and prepared and working together as one to hold anything. Most churches would be lucky if they hold on to 10 or 15 new believers. Because 90% of the church is sucking their thumb and doing nothing. I say, that's not our job, that's yours. We pay you to do that. I've got a full-time job. Really? Okay. 3,000 people saved. What on earth are you going to do with them? First thing they did, get them baptised. Repent, be baptised, follow the Holy Spirit. How many apostles do we have in this church that literally hours ago had no one? Come on. One minute we have nothing, next minute we've got 3,000. How many apostles in the church? Twelve. There were 11, one hung himself, so they what? Elected one other, it was easy. So in other words, there's heaps of other apostles around. That kind of throws the big A apostles out of Revelation, saying apostles of that level don't exist. Because they appointed one right there in the book of Acts in the upper room. Forget Paul and Barnabas, which are, you know what I mean? You've got to be really careful with your theology. The 12 apostle stones in the New Jerusalem, my dear Lord. So here we go. Here is another apostle appointed. We've got 12 apostles. And of course, what are we trying to do? Who's the head apostle? Was it James? Was it John? Was it Peter? Just what Jesus had spent three years trying to get out of them. Come on. I want to be first. I want to sit your right hand. I want to sit. No, 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 no. Work together. Take the low road. So imagine 12 apostles having literally spent three years walking with Jesus. Do you think they might be captains of thousands? Old Testament, God made sure when Moses was getting burnt out and lost his marriage. How many know that Moses lost his marriage? Exodus 18. The word is sent to ways of four. He actually, it was a written, a written divorce in the Hebrew and he sent the dowry back to Jethro. And what did God do? He brings the father-in-law back down to save the marriage. And a, and a Midianite priest tells Moses, the mighty man of God, guess what, son? You're doing it all yourself. You're so busy serving these people, you've lost your wife and children. I know how to solve it. Appoint some other people over here. Do all that stuff, Jack. This becomes the IBN corporate church structure because it's still running under a Moses. But Bible says, behold, Moses is dead. They just haven't figured that one out. They've still got the CEO of the church. So there are captains of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Hundred and twenty people. Imagine if all of them could look after a home group. Come on. Let's go for the minimum structure of that particular group of people. You can look after 10 people. How many people could that church hold? 120 people multiplied by 10. Any mathematicians here? 1,200. So the minimum 
that church of leaders in an upper room could hold was what? A harvest of 1,200 people minus their 120. Is that clear? What if they were captains of 50? Any mathematicians? Anyone got an iPhone? <laughs> I'm useless at maths. So we have got 120 people multiplied by 50. 6,000. They met in houses, didn't they? Come on. So what do we do? We got the house church moving based upon this. They've chucked, that, they've chucked the fact that they also met in the temple and sat under the apostles' teaching, but they'll go and break bread and run house churches. Because of the abuse of one-man bands who have literally lauded it over the people and they're sick of it. It's a knee-jerk reaction, so they go from the mega church into a house church. How many are they doing both? What if they were captains of 100? 1,200 people, they could somehow squeeze 100 people <laughs> into their little community centre with their, with their friends. We have got a 12,000 member church, haven't we? What are the job of the 12 apostles who are captains of thousands to help administer to the different levels of leadership and maturity within the 120? And in fact, they sat under the apostles' teaching. You hear that? Breaking bread, and they were meeting in homes, and they were fellowshipping together, and everything was shared together. So that church could quite quickly take in 3,000. In fact, Jesus realized that. So the next week, he gets another 5,000 saved. Men. So we assume that's eight, plus wives and children. We've got a 12,000-member church in two weeks. How could 120 people with no name, no face, sit in an upper room, terrified for their lives, suddenly in unity, understand how they actually should work together in love, submitting to one another in love, sharing the love of Christ, breaking bread, and within two weeks it's a 12,000-member church? How many sounds like evangelism going on? How many would call that revival? What did Jesus do to prepare them for the revival? Spent three years trying to get them to walk away from the signs, wonders and miracles and love each other. If he camped around the signs, wonders and miracles, they would never have left the fish and loaves. They had 5,000 there. But what they were doing was meeting their need of food. They were listening to his teaching, but never became disciples. You hear me? We in the New Testament, I'm had enough of it. I love sign ones, signs, wonders and miracles. But the pendulum has swung now off into this quarter. So I'm going to swing it all the way back and say forget your signs, wonders and miracles and go for love first. Get back to the first love. And your signs, wonders and miracles will follow you, but you better be following Jesus. But if you focus on those signs, wonders and miracles, you'll end up with a brag book. You will get the miracles, but you may lose, your, you may lose it because you're not connected. Any questions at this point? You're welcome to throw stones, but I've got the mic. (laughs) 
My best friend is Chris Gore, who runs the healing rooms. Do you know what the healing rooms are? No? That's what started John G. Lake. This is a Beth already, and he's on staff and runs the healing rooms. Are we supposed to heal the sick? Are we supposed to cast out demons? Are we supposed to pray? Where did it say we're supposed to camp around the gift of the ministry? Where does it say we're supposed to just set up prayer? You reproduce after your own kind, don't you? Should every house be a house of prayer? Yeah. Should every house be a house of healing? Should every house be a house of teaching? Of father heart, of mercy, of clothing? Come on, it's all supposed to be in there. That's the whole gospel. If you're going to preach the whole gospel, then you're only part of the whole gospel if you are connected in relationship in a community and a family which has the DNA. If the DNA is missing, which is you, it's a dysfunctional body. If you're going to reproduce after your own kind, what will you reproduce? If you're a Bible school of teaching, you'll reproduce Bible schools. Show me in the Bible where we're supposed to reproduce Bible schools. You show me in the Bible we're supposed to reproduce prayer houses. You've gone very quiet, haven't you? Do you realize when you get old like me, I don't care what you think? I do, but I don't. Because I realize no one says this. What are you doing with your time? Do you realize you only have so much energy and strength? Where do you best input that energy and strength? In a house where people are doing stuff that you're not doing. Who knows the answer to the problem is you. If you're missing... Part of the body's missing. Who do you submit to? Who do you bring your ministry under? I'm just asking you. You can fill in the missing gaps there. Are you building the body or are you actually dividing it? Are you bringing unity or are you bringing disunity by pulling it apart? Are you bringing uniformity or are you bringing unity? Oh, we should get all the churches to get together and have one big meeting together. That's real unity. No, it's not. It's a bunch of pastors who are struggling to keep their own life and head above water because they're one-man band, no one's working with them, to try and then figure out how on earth we get five men who are running their own ministry to get together and agree who does the worship, who does the prayer, who does the altar call, and who actually looks after the souls. It's a complete mess. 
It's called ecumenical unity. Let's just get unity one in the existing house you're in. That would be helpful, wouldn't it? <laughs> if you could somehow work in one house just once, long enough and stay put long enough to actually put roots down and bear fruit, you might actually find that the fruit might remain. Come on, talk. I'm sick of talking. That's right. So you're to be planted by the living waters. We're the planting of the Lord. So therefore we bear good fruit in and out of season, but we need to be what? We are supposed to be a well-watered garden, aren't we? We're supposed to be one who knows the presence of God, and we're supposed to love each other. Well, how on earth can you love them if you never see them? Oh, well, they're in our movement. We have apostles and prophets in our movement. They come around once a year at conference. Well, that's not a family. Well, they've never recognized my gift. They don't like me. That's why I've had to go out of the church. They've killed me before. Well, get over yourself, get healed and come back in. Would you like to compare scars? <laughs> Has your head been on a platter and your heart punched out the back of your ribcage? Welcome to ministry. <laughs> I'm called an anointed of God. I've had spears thrown at me, I've hidden in caves and had people try and kill me. And they are the Christians. <laughs> How does God deal with you? He kicks Saul out of you, knocks the Pharaoh out of you, and basically chases and crushes you down so that you'd never do it to any other person in your entire life. And then when you have an opportunity to take out the Pharaohs and the Sauls and wipe them out, God says, leave them alone. Touch not the Lord's anointed. Got it. By actually doing, the, doing everything. How many have tried everything and figured out what you can't do and what you can do? <laughs> if you have a servant heart, mate, you'll do anything. When I joined the church, they said, they said, what are you doing here? I said, oh, God's called me to come and help. They said, oh, there's a tape, tape library. Um, help duplicate the tapes for the ladies in there. Oh, okay. Go and clean the toilets. Oh, okay. I'm doing the tape library and cleaning the toilets. And some guy walks off the street and says, Can some, is any pastor here to pray for me? Well, they weren't because half of them were never in the church. They're always out doing something. They're stretched out to the max. They said, oh, we've got Ian. He'll pray for you. I said, what? <laughs> well, he died and came back to life. He'll pray for you. <laughs> I was getting built up by the girls in the office. So I took him in the room, prayed, laid hands, sha la 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 you know, people's backs, snap, crockle, pop, some got delivered, some got healed. <laughs> then they started calling me pastor, and I said, don't you dare say that, I'm just doing the tape library and cleaning the loos. <laughs> Your gift makes room for you. Serve. Well, you're not doing that. Well, then go and do it. 
I'm sick to death of hearing people come up to pastors and tell them, we should be doing this. Do it. <laughs> oh, I want a title. I want a position. I want to be actually starlighted up on the stage. You ain't doing nothing. I want to be appointed. Unbelievable. Gifts, no character. No humility. No servant heart. It can annihilate your gifting and calling. You could be years serving before anything happens. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to wait? How patient are you? Any other questions? What do you do now? Figure out we've got a problem. How many know we've got a problem? You will not look for a solution unless you know you've got a problem. Do you want to be part of the solution? Have you got a servant heart? Can you help? Not sure, thinking about it. Pick and choose, what are you offering me? <laughs> no, nah, I'm not doing that. It got too hard, I did it for two weeks, stuff it, I'm not taking that flack, I'm out of here. Be faithful, be loyal, be committed, do the teas well. Put the chairs out well. In our church in London, I used to put the chairs in and out. These African guys came in and said, aren't you the pastor? Aren't you the jellyfish man? I said, yeah, I think so. How come you're doing the chairs? I said, because no one's here and I'm doing the chairs. I'm not working. They are. I'm here. We've never seen a pastor do the chairs. I said, well, you've seen one now. Would you like to help? Fifty people come up to pray and the old tradition was, oh, the man of power is going to lay hands on them, blow all over them and they all fall down. Should 15 or 20 other people be helping pray? Thank God for John Wimber. Thank God he got to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's revolutionary what he was teaching. But it was in the Bible. We get people in, we said, prophesy over the person. They said, what? I'm not a prophet. He said, we're not talking about being a prophet. Prophesy. Anyone can prophesy. What do you mean? Hear God. Some of the most powerful prophecies came from a bunch of no-name, no-face people when they listened to someone testify in a small group and they began to prophesy. I literally shut up because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. People are pulling their iPhones out and going, what level of prophecy? Some of them have been to some of the most eminent prophets in some of the biggest conferences in the world, spent a lot of money and never got prophecies like that. Because guess what? The one prophet standing up there before a thousand people is the most going to be able to at least 10 or 15 prophet prophecies. And then guess what? The other 990 odd get nothing. 
Why shouldn't it be in the house? Learn to prophesy. How on earth would the gifts grow unless you let them do it? As I said this morning, I preach four times a year in the church up in London that we planted. I was happy if I never preached at all. How on earth will you grow in your anointing unless you get a chance to move in it? But you've got to be humble enough to know that you may not be chosen every week. In fact, you may not be chosen for the next five years. But can you still serve and can you still love? Can you still basically, can you do stuff and be content and happy with that? Could you wait 40 years? Moses did. He was the humblest man on the earth. How humble are you? How patient are you? People say, I've got this prophecy. I said, that's wonderful. Let me see it. This eminent prophet gave me this prophecy, and they give me their CV and their card and their whole deal. And I go, that's brilliant. Who was it? Oh, it was Bobby Connor. Oh, it was a good prophet. What do you expect? Well, he's told me I'm this, 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 and this. I said, that's an invitation to be killed. By prophesying over you, does that mean you've arrived? You mostly haven't even started. And you mostly just put your foot in your mouth by talking to me. Do you expect me, from that prophecy, now to put you on? And they said, oh, I'd like to travel with you and I could be your prophet. Kalama shilama kutihe. up I've been appointed under this apostolic round table I'm part of their network well what church are they going to oh they don't they sit up on the mountain oh that's interesting that means they don't have to pastor you who passes you oh you are supposed to well who do you submit to oh the prophets and the Apostolic Round Table, because I'm on their network. <laughs> Dear Lord, help us. If you go releasing people without any accountability, you really are stupid. You shouldn't be doing it. I stopped running around like a silly boy getting people saved years and years ago. Every single meeting I ever do is in the local houses. Why? So if anyone actually gets saved, because most times they're not outreaches, they're inreaches. I doubt if I do an outreach most times. Most meetings are inreaches. Why? Because we've shown the fish the net. How many know fish aren't stupid? If you show them the net, do you think they'll swim in there? 
If you tell them that you're, going to, you're Christians, you're going to preach to them, what have they already got when they get there? 50-foot walls. And I'm going to spend half the meeting trying to actually get them to think I might be semi-normal without being a nutter. I've done about three or four outreaches years ago, and it was in, it was in um, Australia. And I, and I said to the guy, I said, what have you done? He said, well, we've done all the advertising, none of it Christian, nothing to do with Jesus Christ, and said, out-of-body experience, come and see a guy who died. I said, smart. <laughs> I said, where are you doing the meeting? He said, in a hall just down the road that all the New Agers use. We're in Byron Bay. New Age capital of Australia, Nimbin Sinbin crew, mate. This is the Mullamimi Madness boys. This is bong on Australia, bong on. This is all the boys running around looking at auras. So I turned up. <laughs> the pastor had, OG pastor had his hair down on his shoulders. No one brought Bibles. No one had even clue that it was Christian except the handful of people in the church. And it was packed because it wasn't a church. It was a hall where they used to do all the witchy poo stuff, New Age, um, Tai Chi and basic yoga. Here we are. So I stood up and started talking. I watched a whole coven walk in. I thought, oh God, here we go. Because God lets you see. I saw a whole coven walk in with the warlock. All the witches and the warlock sat down. And this is not people with long noses. These are beautiful people. These are good looking people, mate. <laughs> they took one look at me. Their eyes were darkened and started cursing me the moment I started speaking. I thought, they know who I am. And I felt a claw go into my throat and try and rip it open as I'm speaking. I thought, this is exciting times. I'm glad I'm praying and fasting. <laughs> Did the meeting. Started talking about open heaven, the fire of God, talking about deliverance and talking about seeing the demons when I came back into my body. Next minute, the witches and the warlock, up, gone. I thought, that's good. Now we can do the altar call. Whole bunch of people saved. Went into Germany. A German mate said, how on earth do you do an outreach? You've been doing it for years. I said, you're the first person who's ever asked me how to do an outreach. That's fascinating. Most churches think they know how to do an outreach. He said, what should you do? I said, no music, no singing, no Bibles and no Christian advertising. He said, what? I said, well, the Christians are worshipping God. You bring a bunch of non-Christians in there, they're going to think you're nutters. They've come to hear a story. Get up, give me the mic, and let's have a go at it. He took the town hall. 850 Bavarian Germans turned up. They shut the door because you only had 850 and 856 turned up and they shut them out and they stood in the snow looking at them through the windows. Very German. <laughs> I thought, great, they've locked the doors. We've got 850 people in here. And there were 32 Christians in the meeting. I said, hide all the Bibles. I don't want anyone walking around with big King James or Dakes anointed. Don't give everyone hugs and don't do some weird prayer thing in front of these people before we start the meeting. Act normal. <laughs> I know it's hard. Act normal. 
I don't want any shunder, hallelujah. Just talk normal, please. Stop giving everyone hugs. Sit down, shut up and pray. And I said, you better have prayed a lot before you get there anyhow, because otherwise we're wasting our time. Did the meeting, and I kept the Bible out to the last second. And then I hit them. A couple of rows of New Age witches got up and left. Bunch of esoteric nutters gone too. Still got about 830 people in the meeting. I said, let's pray. These are all people, most of them are out of Catholic background, not saved, turned away, prayed. I said, if you've given your heart to the Lord, stand up. 80% of the meeting stood up. I said, look, if this is not genuine, sit down. Turned to the interpreter, what do you think? He said, Ian, this is salvation. I've never seen it. He said, what do we do now? I said, I don't know. <laughs> Throw them some rosy bees, no, no. <laughs> I had people coming up to me giving Lady Fatima rosy bees, some that the Pope had blessed. They didn't know how to thank me. So I said, look. We've got Bibles. I didn't think we had enough, but I thought we did. I said we, I'd ask the pastor to get as many Bibles from the Bible Society as possible. This church couldn't hold them. You understand that? But we just had a harvest. The non-Christians are more willing to get saved than we realize. The trouble is we put them all off. I said, anyone need healing? People put their hands up. I told the 32 Christians to go and stand at different parts of the hall and said, you put your hand up. If you need healing, go to them. So people, they just believed what I said, so they went over. <laughs> the Christians were, you could see them in like deer in headlights here. <laughs> what do I do? Lay hands upon them. <laughs> do a Shonda London moment. Do something, mate. Bring your oil out. I don't care what you do, but just be careful you don't go waving handkerchiefs or putting crosses on them. Just pray normal. <laughs> A whole bunch of people started getting healed, falling down and getting touched. The people had never seen it because they'd never had an opportunity. Actually, the non-Christians were more open to the Holy Spirit than Christians who were so hardened. Well, I've seen that. That's not even God. That's a shamanist spirit. <laughs> Dear Lord. Stop listening to those boys too. Oh, they fell forward. They're supposed, no, they're supposed to fall forward. They fell backwards. <laughs> How many have heard this in the church? I mean, you're going to get people kill you no matter what you do. I went into one church, I had no idea that they got to the point they thought every evangelist and prophet was pushing people over. I had never a clue. I just said, anyone here like the Holy Spirit to come upon them? People started doing that. I said, oh, you young man, can you just come over here? He's about 15 feet away from me. I said, just lift your hands up. Lifted his hands up. I said, Lord, let the power of God hit him. God picked him up, turned him on his side, held him up in the air and then put him down on the ground. I said, I've never seen that. <laughs> I've seen him pick them up and throw them 15 through through the air. I've never seen him do that. I've seen him run at a million miles an hour. I've seen them flap around. I've seen them flap their wings. I've seen stuff that you mostly wouldn't believe happens. I've seen them pogo stick. I've seen them run around the house. I've seen them covered in gold. I've seen all coming out of their hands. I've seen stuff that most of you've never seen. But don't you dare get caught on the gold or the oil or all the other stuff and the feathers and the stones and the diamonds appearing on the ground. I've seen all this stuff. Do you want to do show and tell? 
People are recognized not because of their entourage or the size of their ministry. They're recognized under the anointing and authority of Christ. It would be really helpful if we got back to that. Turned out that this church couldn't believe it. They got, then they realized this was God. Then the Holy Spirit hit them. How open is your heart to allow God to do what he wants to do in you? Self-control will shut down the move of the Holy Spirit. You want to be in control of the whole thing? Get real. Let the Pandora's box open up in your life and see if he can actually get in there and sort it out. <coughs> then you might have some compassion for other people because he might have brought the answer for you and you might be able to lead them as far as you've come. And if you don't know how to do it, find someone else who has walked a bit further and let them have a go at it. I was in church and I realised, Merv, old Merv Knopf, dairy farmer, one of the elders in the church, this guy, mate, if there was a demon, call my Uncle Merv over. Most of the time I'd counsel them, but anyhow, Merv, I said, Merv, I'm not sure about this one. I've been praying, I can't seem to get it. He walks over. I'm going, what? I've just been talking to them. You walk over and they're climbing the flipping walls and going, I don't have that effect, Merv. (laughs) Old German stock, come out in Jesus' name. Boom, down on the floor. Any other thing I can do here? (laughs) Find out who you've got. I had another one, counselling. I'm not the most patient person with counselling. <laughs> I'd rather get your life sorted. Thank God I got a wife. <laughs> There's a couple, they were Baptists, uh, full of the Holy Ghost, uh, wonderful people, elders in the church. I said, come over here. What, Ian? Can you make an appointment? Try and fix this thing? They need some help. Unbelievable. They were full-time within a few months. They've got so many people actually needing help that we had to take them on full-time staff. We couldn't even... We are getting people off the edge of the cliff. They're all Holy Spirit, tongue-speaking people all messed up. So when the Holy Spirit comes, don't think it's going to fix them. What it does is open them up. They actually... You need more help when the Holy Spirit moves. Then when people become real, then you find out if you've got any compassion to walk with them. If you've got woundedness, you will actually react to their brokenness. If you see someone highlight their sin and go, that's the unforgivable sin, they've got the problem. So much abuse and woundedness and so much judgment, most of it is protecting themselves from their own brokenness. So psychiatrists will tell you, if someone lives one sin above another, they've got the problem. So anyhow, what we got, where was I? So we've got them counselling. Then I've got a married guy, oh, Sam, Sam Thompson. His, this guy, every single person, he was a physio, every single person he laid hands on, almost without fail, was healed. So if there was a healing issue, Sam, can you come over here and lay hands upon them? Oh, sure, yeah. How's your back? Healed. That's good. <laughs> you just put your hand. I'd be... Everyone's got different gifts. Appreciate and rejoice in what other people have got. Build them up. 
encourage them, speak edification, and cover their sins. It's not covering their sin is not condoning it. Love covers a multitude of sins. If you see someone's got sin and is trying to work on it, you cut them a heck of a lot of grace. Because the judgment you make against them will come back on you. People do not trust people who are not honest and real. People will confide with people who they feel that they can trust. The basis of love is trust. Can they trust you? Or are you going to tell the whole world their problems? Where am I? I have no idea. I haven't even looked at any of my notes. <laughs> it's my wife. <laughs> Let's have a look. Going to all the world to preach the gospel. Evangelists. They're one of the fivefold. They're mostly the last thing you need to have in the church. Did I just say that? They're one of the last things you need in the church. Let's actually find out if we've got a family and a home and a place of healing and prayer and love before we get anyone else into our mess. Jesus did it last. Let's get back to the foundation of first love in Christ. Let's get back to foundation believing that apostles and prophets are supposed to be in the house. And if you lift them up and say, oh, they're heavenly minded, and the pastor teaching evangelists are earthly minded, it's heresy. I've heard it spoken, it's heresy. Jesus is heavenly minded, isn't he? Let's just get that one right. Is Jesus heavenly minded? Is Jesus the apostle? Is he the prophet? Is he the pastor? Is he the evangelist? Is he the teacher? Is he all the gifts and all the offices in one? Therefore, where is he seated? In heaven. So don't you dare tell me a pastor, teacher, and evangelist are not heavenly minded. Thought I'd just correct that one error amongst a bunch of other weird stuff that's going around. <laughs> I've seen some of the most heavenly minded pastors in the world. I have wept my heart out with a pastor who can bring the Father heart of God into my spirit. He may not have any signs and wonders and miracles, but I'll tell you what, the greatest miracle is my healed heart. Come on, you want signs, wonders and miracles? Let the heart be healed. That's the greatest miracle. Out of it comes the wellspring of life. It is watch over your heart with all diligence. How many know the word of God can wash you and cleanse you, sanctify and renew your mind? And give you the light, right words to live by. It's a lamp unto our feet, light unto my path. The illumination and revelation of the word from the teacher from heaven is extraordinary. And when you get an anointed teacher, you will just drop your jaw and go, where on earth did he get that revelation from? And he'll be eating steaks. You'll be eating, you will digest the word of God and you will have a love for it that you will want to study it and read it and know it. When you get around evangelists, they have such a passion for souls. It's just embarrassing. You listen to them and think, oh my God, I haven't led anyone to the Lord. That person in the last week has left 15 people to the Lord. What on earth am I doing? Don't measure yourself against them. Do what you can do. If you were around a prophet, oh, I saw angels, I saw open heaven, I went into this vision, I saw that, and, and I actually saw that light over that person, and you can't, 
see anything. I've never heard that. Don't you dare compare yourself with the prophet. Be content in who you are. Love who you are. Accept who you are. Rejoice that you're different from someone else. Work together. A team of people working together. Fitted jointly together. Just If you go into the South Americans, what do they do in the mines? They had stones of all different shapes, perfectly fitted together. Perfectly fitted together. Buildings, living stones, and we need to know how to be part of that. You are important to be part of that. If you've been hurt and chased out of the existing churches by insecure leaders who don't know how to basically love and minister to you, forgive them. And I'm going to do something about, I'm going to finish with one, one thing that Jesus taught. Unless you've got more questions. It's called the parable of the sower. What is it? Matthew 13. Matthew 13. In verse 18. Hear the parable of the sower. And anyone hears the word of God of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, which has been sown in their heart. This is the one of whom the seed is sown beside the road. Remember Jesus said the seed went out, it was sown by the road. We go back, what is it? It's in verse 3. The sower went out and sowed. He sowed some of the seed fell beside the road. The birds came and devoured it. Verse 5 of Matthew 13, others fell on, wo- on rocky ground and they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. When the sun had risen, they were scorched and because there was no root, they withered away. Some fell amongst the thorns, the thorns came and choked them out and the others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty and some thirty. Jesus said, He who has ears, let him hear. What is the sower doing? Sowing seed. What is the seed? The word of God. Is that right? How we know another scripture says the word of God will not return unto him void. But here we have an interesting statement. The word is sown in three different types of soil. One is on the side of the road, one is amongst rocky places, one is sown in amongst weeds and thorns, and the next one falls on good soil. What happens in verse 18? The one who hears the word doesn't understand it. The evil one comes, snatches it away, what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom the seed is sown beside the road. What happened to the seed, which is the word of God, to that person? It was stationed away. What happened to the word? It was taken, it bore nothing. Come on. Read the word. 
What happened? It bore nothing. Entered their heart, snatched away. Hard heart. Hard soil. Next one was sown in verse 20, amongst rocky places. This is the man who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy and goes, Hallelujah, thank you Jesus, we've got it. Yet he has no firm root in himself, is only temporary, and when affliction and persecution arise because of the word, immediately he falls away. Come on, what happened to that word? That person heard it, a little bit of persecution, a little bit of testing, and what? He fell away. The word didn't help him. There's half the seed sown right now accomplished nothing. Isn't that right? Next one, verse 22. And the one is whom the seed is sown amongst the thorn, this is the man who hears the word, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. How many met a whole bunch of people that are in the church who have actually received the word, but they're so worried about the world and riches, they actually become very unfruitful? Yeah, they're saved. But they bear no fruit. The third one in verse 23, the one comes to whom the word is sown in the good soil. This is the man who hears the word, understands it, bears fruit and brings forth some hundred, some sixty and some thirtyfold. In verse 24, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who's sowed good seed in his field. Let me just have a look at my iPhone. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, we are God. 55 verses 11 says, the word of God will not return void. Why did Jesus just tell us right now that Two-thirds of their seed, actually, one half of it was completely void, one quarter of it bore no fruit, and only one quarter of it actually did any good. What was the problem? Was there any problem with the seed? No. What was the problem? The condition of the soil. How many have read that in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, we are God's field, we are God's soil? Isaiah 58 verse 11 says we're supposed to be a well-watered garden. Jeremiah 17 8 says we're supposed to bear fruit in and out of season. Psalm 1 3 says we're to be planted by the Lord, by the water, living waters. Says we will know them by their fruit. Well, you won't bear fruit unless you've actually allowed the seed to be planted in your heart. So what does Hosea say? Break up your fallow ground. Hello? Hosea 10.12, break up your fallow ground. Jeremiah 4.3, don't sow the seed amongst thorns. Have you ever worked on a farm? Have you ever sown wheat, barley, grass? Have you ever sown anything? (laughs) Have you even held on to seed? Maybe on your cereal, I don't know. It's your muesli. <laughs> Maybe you got your mung beans, I don't know. <laughs> Seed. How many farmers are going to go out with a bag of seed and go, well, there we are, there's the, there's the field, hello, there we go. 
Do you realise the farmer's not that dumb? If he's in Northland, he's got a whole bunch of rocks in that field. He's got twitch, cooch, and every other blinking mongrel weed in it. How many know that weeds grow quicker than the plants? How many know the first thing you've got to do is get a plough in there and turn the weeds over? Bury them. <laughs> Kill them. Then you go in with a set of discs, try and chop it all up. Then you get a bunch of, har you harrow it to try and literally turn those roots, if they're there on the topsoil, up to the sun so the sun can kill the roots of the weeds. Then you may even roll it and then you plant it. How many know that 90% of the work is preparing the soil? What's the condition of your garden? How come the word of God isn't bearing much fruit in your life? Have you taken the time to break up your hardened heart? Have you taken the time to get rid of the weeds that would choke it? Have you got time to take in the rocks and boulders out of your heart and allow the Lord to do what? Prepare the soil of your heart. How many know no one goes into a forest of bad trees and chucks seed around? When you got saved, what did the condition of your, your field look like? Was it a forest of bad trees bearing bad fruit? Come on. A, a, fruit, a tree is known by its fruit. How many had bad fruit? How many know the fruit didn't appear? It took time to grow, didn't it? You didn't just become a drug addict. You just didn't suddenly become an alcoholic. It didn't just happen. It took time for the seed that was planted of evil to grow, take root. We fed it, we nurtured it, and it grew and bore fruit. How many of you have ever tried to cut down a tree? How many of you have ever seen them use sticks of dynamite to get rid of the stump? Or pull the tractor and just about rip the back of the hydraulics off trying to rip the thing out of the ground. How many know it's easy to chop it down with a Husqvarna or still? How many know if you chop the tree down and leave the roots in, it still ain't dead? How many heard John the Baptist said the axe is laid at the root of every tree that doesn't bear good fruit? How many know most of us, when we got saved, lopped off the branches and pruned the tree? Come on, pruned it. How many know if you prune the tree, it may get a bigger crop next year? <laughs> How many thought, I haven't done it for 12 months, and then, oh my God, <laughs> slip sliding away. Here we go, vroomp. People say, oh, they never repented. They never really, you know, it was never genuine. Yes, it was. They just didn't have anyone instruct them how to get the blinking trees out. What do you do to hear the word, preach the word? Guess what? The word ain't even going anywhere near growing because it can't find any ground. How many have seen it could be root bound? Ever been in a place where the whole thing's root bound? I've found Christians and you know what they've done? Most of them have been in the church all their life and instead of having gigantic trees, they've got bonsai plants. <laughs> I could have been in Japan. I'm looking at all these little suckers. Miniature ones. And if any fruit appears, pluck it off. <laughs> I 
They are tougher. I've never done anything wrong. <laughs> but if you had a chance, you would have. But you're a Christian, you're not allowed to do that. Because they've never changed the desires of the heart. They've never put to death the root. Never bear any fruit, but they do nothing wrong outwardly. It's called self-righteousness and self-control. They have no answers to help anyone who's been the doped out, drug addict, sleeping around because we've never done that. And they have no answers because they haven't even dealt with their own mess of self-righteousness. They said, just read the word, come to church like I do and you'll be sorted. No, you won't. You better get in there and dig that stuff out. Then suddenly the person who's been the doper, drug addict, messed up, sleeping around, seems to go faster and quicker than all the people sitting in the church, getting revelations, open hearing, hearing the voice of God, having dreams, and they go, how the flipping heck did that sicko get it? <laughs> they were wholehearted. They were wholeheartedly trashed, they realised it, so they wholeheartedly got in there and got ruthless with their sin and got right into the depths of their core and said, there's nothing good in here. <laughs> Root it out. Cast it out. Cut it off. <laughs> Starve it. How many know that could take a while? God. When I got saved, I said, what does my garden look like? He showed me. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> oh, God. I said, you're going to have to chop a little bit of the corner of that forest away to at least have some kind of hope. Don't bite off more than you can chew. You understand? Try and get a little patch. <laughs> How many ever try to do an entire garden and it hasn't been done for years? How many know that's backbreaking and you just about give up? Dig her off what you can. Because said, oh, that person, he's still smoking, you know, he's still flipping curse and he's still sitting out there, blah, blah, blah. I said, leave him alone. At least he's in church. He's trying to do something here. You're supposed to be trying to help him. <laughs> the condition of the soil. So that when God tries to plant anything in there, it's got a chance that it might take root and grow. You with me? And bear fruit of the Holy Spirit, not self-righteousness. Oh, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. Well, you haven't been doing that since you were a little kid because you went to church all your life. You've learned exactly how to control it all. You bear fruit of self-righteousness, not fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's called self-control. That's why when the Pandora's box opens up and the Holy Spirit starts hitting people, some people who have been in the church all their life hate it because they are controlled. And they don't want to open up and find out what's really in there. Because when it really starts all hanging out, then they figure out, I can't control this. Thank God you can't. And you're not supposed to. You're supposed to let it all hang out. <laughs> That's when I've seen the move of God the strongest. When Christians start getting real in their actual life and start getting out there and sorting the real issues out, 
That's where God loves right now. We're going to get the word in there. We're going to actually sort this out. They're going to start bearing fruit. They're going to become fruitful. They're going to be of some use in the kingdom. Why? Because they're allowing me to get in with the plow. They're getting in there and rooting this stuff out. And they are allowing me to be plant the planting of the Lord. I will nurture their garden. They'll be well-watered gardens. There'll be springs. There'll be living water in there. They'll be sweet fountains. They'll be radiating. They'll be victorious. And it won't just be a lot of masquerade dribble. And non-Christians will go, oh my Lord, you were a sick puppy. Look at you now. Well, I am still sick sometimes, but on the whole, I'm pretty good. You know what I mean? <laughs> Get real. Get real. We are, all of us could go down in seconds. But if you've been dealing with some of this stuff, you have already said, uh-uh. Been there and done that. Bring the deeds of darkness into the light. Why? So that they become light. Allow people to help you. Have friendship and relationship with people you can trust. You know the greatest friend is someone that you can open up the deepest, darkest secret and they still love you? Isn't it? How many know if you, if you tell something, something and they attack, how many know you'll never open up again? It's supposed to be a place of healing, a place of love, a place of kindness. We're not going to justify it and leave them in it. We're trying to get them out of it. And if you think it's the unforgivable sin, you've got a problem. They've got a problem, but you've got a bigger problem. Because you're trying to protect yourself because you think they will hurt you because of their problem. I'm done.